verses 4 through 6. We're going to talk about the promise of power. I just love the words of that song, the wind and the waves still know his name. Let's talk about the power of God in the midst of the spiritual war that we are here to overcome. John has a few things to say, starting in, in verse 4, and let, if you want to read along with me. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world, and therefore they speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world they, it listens to them. We, however, are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And this is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Let's pray together. Father, you are great and mighty and good and just and holy. And as we gather around your word this morning, I pray that through the power of your spirit, your word will pierce our hearts and open our eyes and our minds uh, to your truth. I ask that you'll guide and lead us uh, this morning as we study. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, based on the internal evidence of this uh, passage and this letter that John wrote, Many believe that the biggest threat to the churches in Asia Minor were the influences of Eastern mythicism and Greek dualism. These combined forces would influence the rise of a heretical uh, Gnostic theology. And you can hear a little bit from John's warning in this passage. He's encouraging the church to test the teachings that they hear and the spirit of the teacher. He says those caught up in false teachings are teaching the viewpoint of the world, and the world, it grabs a hold of it, right? But they're not teaching the truths about the deity of Christ, the reality of the crucifixion, and the power of the resurrection. So I want you to walk with me this morning as we look at the issues that face the early church and apply the solution to the problems our churches face today. And let's start with this charted course and how to stay on the right path of good teaching. If you think about it, Jesus revolutionized the idea of what it meant to be a disciple. John's gospel recounts a few of the disciples who were called to follow Jesus, right? And the early part of John's gospel was the calling of Peter. Jesus called Simon Peter to leave his life of fishing to become a fisher of men. And in John's gospel, we're told Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter at that moment. He called the disciples to not only change their names and their behaviors, but to change their lives, 
to live more like Jesus, to follow the righteous and holy and grace-filled life of Jesus and, and to live that out from the inside out. He called them to love their neighbors. He called them to help the poor. He called them to lift up the marginalized. And kingdom living looked so much different to the living the lives of the religious elite of that day. In fact, when talking about the religious elite, Jesus says in John 8, 47, that whoever belongs to God hears what God has to say. The reason you don't hear, and he's talking to the religious elite of that time, he said the reason you don't hear is that you don't belong to God. Now, in John's letter, in 1 John, we see a very similar statement, right? If you believe in God and if you believe in Jesus, you're going to listen to the words of Jesus. Otherwise, you're just kind of making it all up as you go, go along, right? You know, there was a pastor who told the story about his parents, and they had this uh, dream of one day they wanted to sail across the world. And they saved up all the money they could and they bought a sailboat. But there was one problem, of course. They didn't know how to sail a boat. They didn't know anything about sailing. And so while they were taking sailing lessons, they learned all about navigation, how to navigate sailing. One of their worst memories of sailing happened early on. He said his dad got super sick, uh, super seasick, and he couldn't navigate the boat anymore. He couldn't steer the ship. And his mom had to take over and sail this sailboat. She didn't know much about sailing or navigating. And so she just tried to stay close to the beach and follow the lights of the beach, right? Now, I believe for years now, for years and years now, Christians have been treating Christianity the same way. Well, they're baptized believers. Let's set them out and just kind of keep your eye out on the shore, and you'll figure it out as you go along. I don't think that's what Jesus did. Jesus said, follow me. He said, I am the light of the world. And he called his disciples to discipleship that was much deeper than, ah, you'll figure it out along the way. Now we're all just trying to navigate the best way we know how without much guidance or help. And why aren't people going to church? Maybe it's because they don't know that what church adds to their journey, what church adds to their story. We just Get them baptized and hope they'll figure it all out. The Christian life is this amazing journey that must be experienced in a community that follows the ways of Jesus Christ. I think this passage not only tells us that we have this course that's charted out before us, but I think John's also saying that our external lives must, must match the internal work of the Holy Spirit. 
there's a clear separation in this passage between those who are of God and those who are of the world. And I just realized this, but have you noticed when I preach, I always go this side for good and this side for bad. I think that's why so many people sit in the middle. I'm sorry, Jim, I don't think you're bad. I don't. But if you move to this side, I might start anyway. <laughs> There's a clear separation of the good and the bad, right? The phrase of God means to have fellowship with God. As a, one of John's favorite words to use, uh, the King James uh, says abides, right? God abides. You abide with God. Let's look at that text in John 15, in the Gospel of John. Jesus says, remain in me. King James says, abide in me, as I also remain in you. He says that no branch, and uses this beautiful metaphor. He says, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain on the vine. And he says, you too, my disciples, my disciples, you too, Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide, unless you remain in Jesus Christ. Verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches, and if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can't do anything. You can't do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and it withers, and such branches are picked up and they're thrown into the fire and they're burned. But if you remain in me, and my word, he says, remains in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Verse 8, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. John is definitely communicating that we cannot look like Jesus unless he lives inside of us. And so we have this path that's marked out for us, this charted course. And in the early church, there were those who were trying to get the disciples, the early church members to get off of the course, to no longer worry about kingdom living. And then also this idea that people were not living out the Holy Spirit working inside of them. And that's just not the way to live. We have to live out what God is doing inside of our lives. There's a story about a young engineer. He really wanted to marry his sweetheart, but he just didn't have enough money. And so he was given this opportunity to have a job in Ireland but he would have to live there for one full year. So he moved to Ireland to save up the money so he could marry his gal. And they began to write back and forth. This was before the time of FaceTime and before the time of cell phone, and they would write letters to one another. And he told her that, you know, he, he had been tempted, but he continues to stay dedicated to her. And to maybe encourage him to stay dedicated, she sent him a harmonica and asked him to practice that every time he thought of her. 
And so he wrote back that it had done a great work in his life and that he spent many hours every night just playing and learning this harmonica. After one year, they were reunited, and at the airport, he went to give her a big hug, and she said, hold on, before we get to kissing and hugging, let me hear you play that harmonica. You see, if he truly was faithful, as he said, he could play that harmonica. Jesus tells us that if we are truly dedicated and faithful followers of Jesus, right? We should look and behave and act a certain way. You can't fake it. We are promised that when Jesus lives inside of us, his power will completely change us because there is power in Jesus. Look at verse 4 again. Everyone loves this passage, but think about the weight that this passage has. He who is in me is greater than the one who is in the world. Will you repeat that passage with me? And, and let's make it personal. He who is in me is greater than the one who is in the world. Say it again. He who is in me is greater than the one who is in the world. Do you believe that this morning, that God's power lives inside of you? You are a changed person. And this doesn't have to do with our haircut. This doesn't have to do with the clothes that we wear. God's power living inside of us and, and enables us to be kingdom workers where we live, work, and play. There's a story about a, a great Dane that was very, very mean. It was a ferocious great Dane. Now, I know when I use the word great Dane, you often think about Jessica and I's great Dane, who was just the kindest of dogs. But don't think about that kind of great Dane. Think of a mean, ugly great Dane. One day, the owner was walking that great Dane in their neighborhood and came upon the most ugliest of dogs he has ever seen in his life. And that great Dane lost his mind and got off the leash. And the man yelled to the other guy walking his dog, quickly, you've got to run. My great Dane is ferocious. He'll eat you both up. You need to run. But the man didn't move. And that ugly, ugly dog didn't move either. And as soon as the Great Dane got to the dog, the dog stopped it and ate up the Great Dane. Just ate it up, gobbled the whole thing up. The man was so surprised, said, how, how did your ugly dog eat my dog? He said, well, before a train ran over its tail and a truck ran over its nose, this was an alligator. <laughs> that's right it was an alligator you know I, I think there's a lot of us Christians walking around not aware of the power that is inside of us right I mean there are so many of us just walking around 
unaware that Jesus lives inside of us and that the Jesus who lives inside of us is greater than the world. Are you tempted by sin? Jesus is greater. Are you persuaded to mix the truth of God with the lies of this world? The one who is in you is greater. In fact, while Jesus walked this earth, he was casting out demons, proving to everyone that he is Lord. But instead of believing this truth, the religious elites claimed that Jesus was using the power of Satan to drive out demons. And so Jesus gave them this parable in, Jesus, in uh, Luke chapter 11. It says, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe, right? Unless someone stronger attacks and overpowers him he will take away the armor in which the man trusts and he'll divide up his plunder and so this morning i want you to picture in your minds the spiritual war happening all around you and the spiritual war is being protected by strong men who are fully armed and maybe in your mind you believe that you were trapped. That that which is strong and armed is, is really holding your life captive. If you believe that these strong men have held you captive to sin, you're wrong. Because Jesus is greater. If you believe that you were trapped in, in gossip and lies, you're wrong. Jesus is greater. If you believe that there is no hope for reconciliation, you're wrong. Jesus is greater. He's greater than lies, he's greater than sin, and he's greater than anything that Satan has to throw against you. Jesus' parable says... He's going to take all that armor away because he is greater. And he's so great that Satan thought he had won when Jesus hung up on that cross. But he didn't. Jesus defeated even death. And if you think back all the way to Genesis chapter 3, the greatest enemy to humankind has always been death. If you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. But Jesus even defeated death. He who is in you is greater than the one who is in this world. Don't allow sin, don't allow pride, don't allow temptation, don't allow anything to keep you trapped. He will free you. He will do it.
Let's pray together. Father God, we come this morning acknowledging the power that is in your Son, Jesus Christ. Knowing that what you did on the cross gave us freedom from sin, despair, that you've given us hope in your Son, Jesus Christ. And as we celebrate you as the true Lamb of God, our Savior, the Savior of the world, I pray that that truth and your Holy Spirit will change each and every one of us to be more like you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.